So today we're going to do the movie The Fan. This was a choice from nitpick Nick Arcana. Today is definitely going to be the start of our Wesley Snipes marathon where we're going to be doing... A full two movies with Wesley Snipes. Yes. Now, the good, the, the interesting thing is that it's not even like... Not even like his big hit movies. We're doing The Fan, and then next week we'll be doing... Money Train. Money Train. So these are like two, I don't want to say lesser known, but like lesser talked about Wesley Snipes movies from the mid-90s. And then after that, we'll do Blade. Well, The Fan starring Robert De Niro, and as we just said, Wesley Snipes, and maybe actually after this movie, I'm thinking maybe we should do a damn Robert De Niro marathon. Forget Wesley Snipes, put him on the back burner, do a De Niro marathon. But he I has, didn't seek his next. You're so right. Well, I mean, he had to pick the worst movie of his whole catalog. <laughs> hide that movie. Hide that Blu-ray. How about that? <laughs> Out of my sight. You can hide it, but I will find it. I hate you. Is that, is that movie had Dakota Fanning? Yes. How did she go from Man on Fire, that great, amazing Denzel movie, to Hide and Seek? Easy. She didn't do a whole lot in Man on Fire except after she got kidnapped. She was one of the best child actors ever in that movie. Sorry. Because she was only in it for 15 minutes. And it was a 15 impactful minutes. Denzel said she was better than most of the adult actors he's worked with. And you know what? She's still a pretty damn good actress, even though she, I, I feel like she ruined her career with Twilight. This movie came out in 1996 and directed by Tony Scott, who, if you look up his filmography, a lot of great movies. The man did Enemy of the State, Top Gun, Crimson Tide, so- True Romance. A lot of Denzel movies he did, for sure. I actually got two trivia on this one. Tony Scott, one, turned it turned this movie down twice. Only decided to do it because Robert De Niro was in it and he wanted to work with him. Wow. And the second thing is he actually, uh, in order to do this, he turned down directing The Rock. Ooh. Well, The Rock is a great action movie. <laughs> but I'm glad he turned that down because I like The Rock how it is right now. I wouldn't necessarily want... The Tony Scottisms, yeah. I mean, it, we have enough action movies with Tony Scott directing where you can see all his stuff. The Rock is a unique. I mean, it's Michael Bay, which he has his own style, of course. Mm. But I wouldn't want to mess with The Rock. Yeah, but in this, and one of the things Tony Scott even said that he felt like this was an experimental movie. He didn't feel like a lot of people were even going to watch it. And to be honest, he was probably right. So he decided to do a lot of weird camera tricks. I could see that. I mean, one, one thing I'll say is that even most of my complaints I'm going to have about the movie are about the story, but the directing, I mean, it keeps the movie for the most part exciting and fun to watch. There's like a, there's definitely a visual style that's unique and like exciting. So we can pretty much agree that the directing, the acting and the score of this movie definitely makes it a good movie. Those are good parts of the movie. It definitely makes it a good movie. It doesn't make it a good movie. It makes it a good movie. I mean, you're jumping the gun here. This is the beginning of the review. (laughs) You're going to have to convince me, sir, of this good movie nonsense. Fine, I'll convince you, sir. I'm going to call this, so far at least, I'm going to call it a middle-of-the-pack Wesley Snipes movie and bottom-of-the-barrel De Niro. (laughs) Oh, come on. This is probably De Niro's (laughs) most famous role. De Niro's barrel is so big, though. Being at the bottom is still pretty good stuff, though. I bet De Niro loved doing this movie. Now, if you're under the barrel, that's where, like, hide-and-seek is. You're, you're, like, the toxic waste on the bottom sticking to the bottom, like the the sap, the the, the green stuff at the bottom. That's hide-and-seek. So this is not the the green stuff. This is in the barrel. It's not below the barrel. But, uh, no, the... If this was below the barrel, then you know what? It touched the ooze. It got big, like shredder. I mean, and then it. You're supposed to be defending this. What do you, why you? And then why it, you turn this into a damn Ninja Turtles villain? You're supposed to defend it. <laughs> well, for one, Shredder is the best Ninja Turtles villain. Uh, to Tony Scott's point, he thought I mean, a lot of people wouldn't see it. I don't know. I mean, De Niro and Snipes are relatively big stars. I thought I felt like, but 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 it's a sports movie, and that. You know, people see a like baseball in the, in the topic, and that may turn people turn some people off. So. To be honest with you, if you took out the sports, maybe had the beginning baseball scene and then the ending baseball scene, this movie really wouldn't have changed. I don't know because the whole thing is like he's such a. The whole thing is he's a hardcore fan of baseball, so it's like you have to tie it in a little bit. Um, I mean, you see weird. that by the fact that he literally trampled his son to get a ball that another kid caught that he was, and you could tell by his eyes, he was like, I want to take, I want that ball, give it to me. And you, even when he was going for the ball, did you see that weird face he made? Yeah. Robert De Niro was like, ooh, ball. <laughs> he's not, he's not winning father of the year anytime soon. Oh, so. hell no. 
quick background on the movie. So on IMDb, this has a 5.9. And uh, Nick, I believe, looked up the box office on the movie. What did you find in the box office annals of For the Fan? Was I talking about the fan or was I talking? I was talking about Money Train when I sent you that budget. Oh, damn it. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. Oh, wait, wait. <laughs> I can look at my phone real quick. <laughs> we'll just see if Tony Scott was correct, if anybody went to see this or not. We'll see what the damn gross was. Hold yeah, because I'm pretty sure all the stuff that we had already talked about was all the stuff I read because I didn't feel like reading the big-ass texts about the logistics of baseball or the fact that Wesley Snipes Apparently did all the baseball stunts himself because he actually got a trainer to teach him the bat, how well, to bat. He was already in a movie called Major League, so this is his second time playing a baseball player. Mm-hmm. So he probably had already done a lot of research already. Well, he also had a professional baseball player teaching him mm. for this movie because, he's again, he's supposed to be the best player in the league at the moment. So he needs to be good. Apparently Wesley Snipes did three quarters of all the baseball stuff. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So, Tony Scott famously said, "Tony Scott famously said, hey, I don't think anybody's going to see this movie, so I'm, I'm going to experiment.' So, was he correct? Well, it turns out the budget estimated is 55 million. Okay. The gross for U.S. and Canada combined, 18 million. He was right. He's fucking right. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no dramas from Tony Scott. Well, again, maybe he, maybe that's why he originally didn't want to take the movie. He only decided to do the movie because Robert De Niro was part of it. I mean, eighteen million for a De Niro and Snipes doubleheader—that's a small. That is small. That, that that's pretty. That's pretty small. But I think maybe the baseball thing turned people off. I'm serious. Most likely. Um. So, anyways, but I hadn't seen this movie in a long time, so I was coming in with fresh eyes, completely open-minded to whatever it was. And so, all right, well, let's get into it then. So, Gil is a baseball fan. Understatement. He's a big baseball fan. He loves baseball like I love chicken nuggets. And Bobby And Rayburn. like you love Mountain Dew. What's, who, what's the bigger love here? Gil with baseball or you with Mountain Dew? Let's try to think about that. I don't know. I think Gil, I think Gil with baseball because he died for it. I think if you had a kid, you would step on his toe to get that last Mountain Dew in the fridge. <laughs> I would not. I would just hold him by his head as I grabbed it out the fridge and drunk it. He'd be, I'd be nicknaming him Tum Tum at that point. There you go. All right. Well, hey, okay. Three Ninjas reference. I know. But was it, but was it, was it knuckle up or kick back? No, or, it was the very first one, Three Ninjas. Oh, man. Tum Tum was so short. Sequels are better. I'm just saying. Knuckle up and kick back. Not the uh, Magic Mountain one, though. Don't look for something to throw at me. You know I'm right. <laughs> We're going to do the damn Three Ninjas, the whole series eventually, and you'll I'm see. I'm fine with doing that. The sequels are superior. No. Yes. You know why? Because Grandpa didn't have a fight in any of the sequels. Look, Grandpa was fucking Batman, Bruce Lee. <laughs> every superhero combined, they had Grandpa be able to be just superhuman. I, I, I didn't like that. And heck, wasn't I think it was Knuckle Up. That one was more a political thing. Yeah, that they were on a they, Native American reservation, yeah. all this stuff, but still solid fight scenes. Well, solid fight scenes, but they made no fucking sense. Well, the first movie made no sense. The first movie made a little bit more sense than that. All right, look, I'm not here to do a three ninjas diatribe with you, all right? When we do yeah. the series, we'll get to that. <laughs> all right, so anyways. um, You know, now I'm going to buy the entire series. <laughs> I wonder if there's... I, 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 I doubt there's a Blu-ray box of that. Maybe not, not, but I'm sure you can buy all four of the regular DVDs. Maybe the DVDs. DVDs. I would buy that. Um, Anyways, Gil loves baseball. And Bobby Rayburn is his favorite player. He's talking to Jules and Kurt Fuller. I thought Kurt Fuller died in No Holds Barred. What is he doing here? Well, he had to live so he could one day be on the show Supernatural, is my understanding. Unfortunately for him. No, not all, unfortunately. His path, lead, his path leads to Supernatural, and I wish that on no man. He, he did a good Zachariah. A what? That's what he sacrificed his, his life, no, yes. Zachariah. He sacrificed life for Supernatural, no. yes. <laughs> yes, so Bobby Rayburn has signed with Gil's local team, which is, I guess, the San Francisco something. By, with, you know how much he signed for? $40 million? Yes. Wow. For back in 1996? That's like... In today's dollars, let me calculate inflation. 
That's $200 billion in today's dollars. I'll take it. My man Bobby Raber, he got that. He got the bag, baby. You kidding me? If I could make forty million just by playing baseball, well, first I'd have to learn how to play baseball. That's so much money. Wesley will never have to do a drop zone again. Yeah, hey, I still like drop zone. He got to fight Gary Busey in it, get his ass kicked a little bit. You lose a fight to Gary Busey, you just ruin the whole movie, all right? <laughs> he didn't lose the fight. He just took a few hits. He should have dominated Gary Busey, all right? It's Wesley Snipes versus Gary Busey. Come on. Well, how about we just talk about the fact that Rayburn is not happy about his number? Well, his number with his old team was 11. His number for almost all the teams have been 11. And he's very superstitious about it. So he wants it, but there's a guy on the new team, Primo, played by Benicio Del Toro, who is pretty happy with the number 11. And it's his good luck charm. And as we'll see, has no plans to give it back to Bobby. Which even, which he even said, actually, or at least his um, person, his manager said, Del Toro will give it back to him for $500,000. $500,000, which for Bobby, if it's that serious and you're getting $40 million, that's, hey, that's give him pennies. the money. Right, that's pennies. Yeah. <laughs> he was making a big deal about it, but it became so serious that I was like, dude, just give him the $500,000. <laughs> Yeah, but even even Rayburn was like, oh, it's just a number. I guess I can work with it. And remember what the coach said when he was complaining about it, too? His new number, 33? Mm-hmm. He was like, well, I mean, 33 is three times 11, so maybe you'll be three times better. Fail. <laughs> I just yeah. love the I just love Rayburn's uh, reaction. He's like, get this motherfucker out of here. Well, you know, the movie does one dumb thing, is that it actually makes it so all the superstition stuff is true. Like... He plays good and bad versus does he have his number after Primo dies? It's like, come on, man. It can't be that serious. Give me a break. But not only that, but also he's very unlikable when he's talking to Jules. He was unlikable when he was complaining about the number. Then when you get to the kid, the the cancer kid, you find, you see, okay, he has some from a heart. Granted, no one wants to see a kid dying, especially since that kid has the same name as his son. I thought he took that too personal. That the kid had the same name. Sean's a very common name. Right. That's one thing. Second thing, yeah, personally, with the kid, he was fine, but I didn't like how he was complaining afterwards. He actually said, no more hospitals. Like, how are you going to, like, you're the biggest star probably in that city. How are you not going to, like, visit sick kids who just want to see you? Like, well, it, mainly I think he probably felt lied to because originally he was told that the kid was sick. They didn't tell him how sick the kid was. Because they weren't, yeah, expe- they were, they knew the kid was dying, but they didn't think the kid was that close. Yeah, but he's got to take that as like, like, wow, this kid's dying wish is to see me. I mean, that's pretty serious and it's responsibility. But if you're gonna make all that money, and be famous, you have to accept that responsibility and not be like, oh well, if he's sick, I'll see him. But if I feel like I think he's on the verge of dying, then I don't want to see him. That's just I like, mean, also, so what's no a, one it's wants weird. To see a kid that close to death, but also- but you, but if you can make the kid. Happy before he dies. I mean, well, another thing is most uh, most Make a Wish foundations make sure the kid is well enough to be able to st- still be able to do stuff. Like if they want to meet their favorite idol, in Wesley Snipe in uh, Rayburn's case, it would have been go there, see him, maybe throw throw a few uh, baseballs around, have a little bit of fun, get to know the kid. Kid gets to know you. All that fun jazz. Yeah. Lies to him saying, yeah, you'll you'll get better. May, maybe, but there's definitely also got to be, like, situations where you visit, celebrities visit kids who are, like, in their dying bed, though. I'm sure if it's their last wish or something. I mean, I'm that, sure. That I happens. guarantee you if we looked it up, almost every celebrity has had to do that at least once. Yeah, and now. I guarantee now, you now, broke them. Now it's this, though. The kid boldly, though, puts him in a bad spot by being like, hit a home run for me. Yeah. It's like, come on, kid. I mean, I'm here. I'm hanging out with you. Why I'll, you got to put that juju on me? I will say this. He gets that home run. Problem is. It's so it, sad. Manny doesn't lie to him. Manny tells him, yeah, kid didn't, never saw it. He get, went into a coma. It's like, excuse me. <laughs> if I was you, I would be like, yeah, kid saw it. He was extremely proud. He was so proud he had a heart attack and died. Yeah, that's what <laughs> that's what those things rise as, as an agent. Probably... You're just making your client feel like shit. Right. Should have at least lied to him, say, yeah, he saw it. However, he did go into a coma. Shout out to uh, John Leguizamo, though, because you almost expect him always to be funny. 
But he plays this pretty straight I up mean, and does he, a good job. So he does have he has some good lines when he's talking to the, the radio host. Yeah, they got a, they have a fun back and forth. Especially the first time they're ta- you see them talking together. But John is not John He's not trying to like steal the scenes or try to like be too animated or out there. He's like pretty for him for him. He's playing pretty low key. Well, he, I, de- he definitely knows who the stars are, so he not to outshine them. Yeah. So yeah, Bobby's story is kind of not. It's hard to like sympathize with him at all at this point so far in terms of like, okay, wow, you don't have your number, but you're getting paid forty million dollars. You're the biggest celebrity. Oh, that sucks that the that you had to see this dying kid. But so far, there's nothing about him that's like to hold on to in terms of likability so far. Right, and to be honest, we don't get a whole lot of time with him. Believe it or not, even though the movie has him as half the cover. We don't get half the movie with him. We get yeah. maybe a quarter. Yeah, he we follow him more around the end, but at that point his son's already been kidnapped. He's you see that he's distraught and you should Wesley Snipes is able to show his acting skills then. Yeah, he's kinda of just like a he's just like a pawn basically to get this movie to rolling. awaken De Niro pretty much. Yeah. Because all you need to know about all you need, the only thing you need to know about Snipes character is that Bobby Rayburn's gonna be in a slump. And De Niro is going to be possessed in a way of trying to get him out of the slump by any means necessary. And as long as you know that, you don't really need to see Bobby interacting with his son, all this stuff, or interacting with his teammates. Which we don't get any. Because realistically, realistically, in terms of a movie, like we like I said, we don't we don't care or sympathize with a player who's playing bad, but still getting his forty million dollars. It's like. Super first world problems that Bobby Rayburn has in this movie. I mean, you do. I'm, know- play, I'm playing like crap. I can't get my number. Yeah, you got your number. You're getting forty million dollars. Well, you do. I don't want to hear you complaining. You do remember what he said around the end, right? It doesn't matter if you're doing good or if you're doing bad. A fan doesn't know who you are, really. Yes, and 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 we don't want to know who you are. <laughs> As the audience watching the movie, we don't care, Bobby Rayburn. <laughs> so, um, all so right. How about we get to the main player of this movie? Let's get back to let's get to Gil, who is. And every man who, I guess his job is to sell knives? His job is selling knives. Apparently his father is the one who founded the company. So my understanding is that his father is like the architect behind the knives, Mm -hmm. but then maybe sold it to a bigger business who sells the knives. And the business probably, in gratitude to his father, has kept De Niro on the payroll He's had a job for life with them because his father, they feel indebted to him, basically. Even though... You start to see maybe they don't actually like De Niro in the position. So, so we'll get to that when we get there. But first, you see him in his everyday job trying to sell the knives. Uh, he makes a few jokes saying, you know, if I keep doing more of these demos, I'm going to have to share my legs. I'm going to have to shave the hair on my ass. He's trying to be. Early on, they, he's, he's pretty. Early on, he's actually relatively likable. Yeah. Like, so, there, there's no real, like, um, he doesn't seem like a villain at the very beginning, at least. And then we get. One guy where, and you do get the hint that he's a big baseball fan because he's been trying to get tickets through his job mm-hmm. for his so-called clients, which later you find out is for his son, which is fine. Probably don't use company money on that, but right. But anyway, so he talks to a, a ticket dealer. Can't say drug dealer because he wasn't doing drugs. A ticket dealer. And this is probably the first ticket scalper. Yeah, this is probably the first sign that he's probably not in his right mind because he gets so mad at the guy, not for talking shit to him. Literally, this guy was just get the fuck out of here. What are you deaf? Go on. It's like Robert Niro's like problem with you. You're not a fan. Yeah, you don't even like the games. Like I thought that was a pretty like uh I thought I was expecting like something serious. He's like. You don't really care about the game. It's like no, you don't even like the game. You don't like the game. It's that's pretty. pretty I'm just like pretty light. After this guy just pretty much told you you're a piece of shit compared to him, and that's what you have to say to him. <laughs> Knowing what De Niro's gonna do later in the movie, this guy got off easy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, then he meets the guy at the I guess camping store. Yeah, the guy who wants a kayak. Yeah, the the hell again where you again see where he is not in his right mind. Well, you see where his how much of a struggle his job is, <laughs> and he's he's doing his job because, of course, you know he, I think he's motivated by his son and everything like that. But, you know, he tries to sell this guy knives, but he finds out that the dude's company already has a huge deal with some other manufacturer. So, 
is basically wasting his time. And the dude asked for a kayak, and he's like, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, how are you going to talk to me about a kayak, motherfucker? He's like, I'm here to talk to you about knives. You want to talk to me about a fucking kayak? Go fuck yourself. Uh, you forgot your stopwatch. I noticed that <laughs> in the movie, like, De Niro's character, uh, Gil, he's always calling people stupid or idiots. So I think he calls this guy like he's like a fucking idiot. He's like, you fucking idiot. Gil's on a high horse where he thinks he's so intelligent and best as a fucking idiot. Either way, so he uh, goes to pick up his son where we learn that he doesn't like his ex-wife's boyfriend because he keeps calling him by a different name every time. Well, his wife apparently hates him because his wife is like, you know, I'm not okay with this. Oh, yeah. His wife hates his guts, which makes me wonder what he did, which we'll probably find out exactly what he did later. So I don't understand, like, if he even has, does he even have joint custody or is it literally just his wife is being nice? Visitation. Okay. He, okay. Ha- he does have visitation, but he does not have any form of custody. And he's about to mess up visitation. Even. Yeah, so he takes the kid, they go to a, the opening day, which, again, is good. He's having a moment with his kid. You clearly see he seems to like this kid, even though... Yeah, but he's, he's like, he's so hard on the kid about knowing baseball stuff. Yeah, that... Like the kids entertained by the mascot goes, hey, don't look at something that don't look at that stupid shit over there. Watch the game. Yeah, he keeps quoting people and like expects his son to know who's who said that and telling about this mysterious cup, coop, mysterious coop Coop. figure who apparently is like the best baseball player ever. Apparently, from back when Gil played with him, Um, which later on we find out was only little leagues. It wasn't even high school; was little league, which is hilarious. yeah, this this baseball scene with him and his son is depressing, because I'm I'm looking at it from his son's standpoint. Mm. His son's just trying to be there, spend time with his son, or his fa- just trying his to spend dad. time with his father, and his dad, dad is so into the game, and that he tramples him for baseball. Yep. And you got the old lady behind them just being like, "What is wrong with this guy?" And of course, he curses out the old lady. That he- was funny because he turns to her, he's like, "Like, what the hell are you looking at?" So he calls like an old bag or something like that. Says yeah. something, but um, and then the biggest thing he leaves. He leaves the kid there. Now yeah. look, and uh, I guess the ironic, the ironic thing is that he goes see somebody who was actually at the game. Too right. Uh, well, originally he was supposed to be gone at this point. However, then he hears that he was at the game the whole time, which then ticks him off a little bit because whatever he read in that letter, I'm assuming is. We don't want to work with you no more. No, I think it was just something along the lines of maybe that. Maybe that's true. But to be fair, the secretary basically screwed him over because she told him the day before, you know, come back at this time tomorrow. And he said specifically, like, no, that's not a good time. Can we do an hour later? She's like, no. It's like she can't find a way to get in contact with him during that day and say, hey, he can't make it today. So he kind of screwed him over. But still leaving your son at the game and you're actually driving somewhere else right what the who the hell somewhere would do that somewhere you have that? to get on the highway for nonetheless who and, and this is not the age of cell phones there's no cell phones <laughs> nothing that is like my god this is the this is the first like oh this guy's an asshole so the, this is also kind of weird to me so he gets there and he sees his kids going and he automatically goes back to his wife's house I'm expecting him to go crazy first like where the fuck is my son i, I was thinking about that and they didn't really stab they didn't do a good job they didn't do a good job establishing what happened after that because i think they cut to like the next scene of him coming to the house yeah and he has like pizza and he's like so sure that the kid is at the house as if somebody's told him hey he's at the house but there was no way he would know because the woman who brought him home is, is the old lady that he cursed out so she's in there but he doesn't have a cell phone so it's like did the mom call him? It doesn't seem like that way because when they when he gets there, it's like it seems like the first time they're communicating. Yeah, because he's even like, well, how is he? It's like, well, he's crying. So, so obviously he didn't talk to him because he does have a car phone. Okay, yes. So maybe she called him and just told him basically, hey, because if I'm him, yeah, it's a tough spot. You probably have to scour the entire stadium looking for your son before you actually leave. Right. You have to assume, hey, he wandered off in the stadium. So you're probably going to spend a couple hours just... Where the hell's my son? Anybody seen him? Like, ask security, all this stuff. So, but he gets home to the mom's house, and it's still daylight outside. Like, it's still, it's not that much later because it's not even dark outside. It's just, I, I would think that just a smartly more edited thing would be, like, have him come home, and it's nighttime now. At least established it's been a couple hours or something. Right. Uh, that's one thing I say this movie has issues with is 
editing and timeline wise. Yeah. Because there's a lot of times, or I mean, I'm assuming we're supposed to believe it's weeks or maybe a month ahead of time by at, before this happened. You know, Robert De Niro was clean shaven. Next scene, all of a sudden he has a stubble. So I'm assuming they expect us to believe at least a month has passed. There's and all the montages of baseball going on is supposed yeah. to be another indicator because obviously a baseball season takes place within the course of what six months. Yeah, and there's a there there's some big time jumps in the movie, and which is kind of crazy because yeah, it's like you have to it it doesn't tell you the time jumps, but you have to infer based on like well we'll get, we'll get to a couple of them, but let's stick with this for a second. So it brings the kid pizza, and of course. The mom and the stepdad are calling the police. To, yeah, he's trying to beat down the door. Which, by the way, now we get the indicator of why the wife hates this guy. He straight up power drives her out of the way so he can get in the room. Yeah. And and the kid is so nice, he already forgives his dad. Oh, right. He's like, he's probably thinking about it, but he's like, oh, you brought me pizza. And, and Coke, too? Wow. Uh, by the way, it's uh, pepperoni and mushroom. I hate mushrooms. Well, then take them off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I guess maybe this is to establish, too. Maybe... Super fan Gil, like the two things maybe that are holding him somewhat together are, are him having this job and then being able to see his kid on occasion. Yeah, so well, as those two things get taken away, mm-hmm. this is where the descent into madness comes. Yeah, well, let's go ahead and take away that first thing, his job. Yeah, because he's an asshole. He's going around being mean and, and not even, being likable. And even his boss just tells him, like, look, we're getting rid of you because no one likes you. Everyone's afraid of you. They're all assume they're all believe that those knives you have in your hand, you're eventually gonna stab people with. <laughs> and, <laughs> How right he was. <laughs> and Gil's thinking, well, I'm not, I'm gonna start by stabbing your fucking car. Yeah, <laughs> which takes place, which is funny because that's what the guy did to the other door handle with the other knife that Gil refused to sell. Yeah, and he even said, "Why?" Well, I was like, "Well, blades too light, the the pummels too damn heavy." He's like, "Well, I mean, it still stabs through a fucking aluminum door," and he's like. Anything can stab through an aluminum door with enough power. <laughs> yeah. So, so where are you at with Gil? Because you can look at him in two two ways. You can you can look at, hey, he's a decent enough guy, but the world is pushing him over the limit. Or you can look at like, uh, he's already an asshole and he's kind of pushing himself over the limit. Pretty much. Is it, is it circumstances to blame here, or is he his own worst enemy? So to be honest with you, I think it's a little bit of both. Because obviously the circumstances are pushing him to the edge. However, he needed to have already somewhat be in this mindset to do half the stuff he does in this. Yeah, yeah. Because the thing about any, like me or you, we lose our job. If we had a kid, we lose our kid. Do you really believe one of us is all of a sudden going to go and start attacking your favorite artist? Or the, even, the, even the minor stuff. Like he shows up at the kid's baseball game. <laughs> And almost beats threatening the coach and almost beats the stepdad's head in. And this is with him already having my understanding is that she put a restraining order on him and he's still showing up. Yeah. And again, when is the timeline of this? Did you look? Because we know that the tryout was supposed to be a week from that that opening day. I guess if they if they leave in little things like that, then there's enough there to put the the timeline together. If you think about it, as long as they say like you know, so you have a, a clear idea. We know that Bobby is struggling with like game after game after game, so it's like because he doesn't have his number. Time is going by, and it, yeah, and Primo is like just committed to not, not you know, giving the number. Um, yeah, with me with Gil, I just feel like mostly I understand that society is not really helping him out per se, but he's not doing himself any favors. With he has an attitude problem. Clearly, he has a temper problem, an attitude problem. He's not handling things. He's making no effort to have a good relationship with his ex-wife or whoever that is. Maybe it's not his wife even, but... Um, so, I do yeah. want to go uh, circle back to Rayburn real quick because I actually just read something that I believe actually he starts putting into practice after the primo death. So, in the scene with, Ray, with Jules and Rayburn, Jules says, you're too uptight, you're too serious about this, you just need to relax, let your hair down, air quotes, because, you know, he's bald... Uh, relax, let your hair down, and then maybe start enjoying this game again like you used to when you first started. Yeah, and the idea is like stop thinking that you're invincible and understand that you're putting too much pressure on yourself and allow yourself to mess up. And 
Oh, that's true. That she's right. That's the right attitude to have. And the reason I want to bring that up is because eventually we're going to go on to how Rayburn actually gets good again. Plot twist: It ain't the number. <laughs> yes. So Gil has a bobby wall. I'm assuming well, he lost his apartment because we never see the apartment. Yeah. Anymore after this scene, we only see him in this weird setting where all they show us is the bobby wall. Yep. Which later we find out is apparently where he used to play baseball when he was younger. Yeah, so basically, Gil losing his job means he has way too much free time now. And he and goes that, to every game. Every game. And probably even the away games. Yep, probably. Although, well, I don't know what you got to think where his, uh, where his budget's coming from, though. <laughs> Lost his job, so. I mean, <laughs> where did he get season? Maybe he's maybe he killed, season tickets. Maybe know. he's killed more people than three. Yeah, he went back and killed the ticket scalper and stole his tickets. Exactly. That's like the canon that we didn't see, but that's probably the deleted scene. Exactly. I mean, he oh, he had a reason to. The guy, the guy told him he's an idiot. Because now he was already super fan, but now not being able to see his kid and not having a job, now he's really focused in on baseball and Bobby and his team, and he doesn't like what he sees and. He's going to do something about it. Yep, so he confronts Primo in a spa where <laughs> Primo shows off. He was branded with the number 11 on his arm. I loved I loved Gil's his reaction. He's there basically in good faith to try to negotiate. He sees the damn branded 11. He's like, well, this ain't going to work. <laughs> and he's immediately like, oh, plan B, motherfucker. Well, and then when he leaves and then apparently comes back. Did you think? I thought this was his imagination at this point. Be honest, well, yeah, because the way that it was edited, and I think this is one of those Tony Scott editings for this purposely, yeah. is it looks like when he left that first time, he stopped to think about it, but then kept going. Whereas what actually happened, we get clips and bits, is he apparently turned around to talk to Primo again, where I guess him and Primo got into an argument. Primo, it looked like Primo attacked him, judging by this editing. What's... <laughs> It's weird because I struggle with this for the rest of the movie. Like, it looks like Primo attacks him and then out of self-defense, he stabs him in the leg. Yeah, because... Not even like, and I don't think a purposeful kill shot per se. Well, probably not at first, but because when you see it, Primo already has him down, probably getting ready to hit him when Rayburn pulls out the knife, stabs him in the leg, which where he stabbed him at, you're going to bleed out, especially in a spa your blood, your whole body is so relaxed in such a heated environment. Yeah. Your blood flows more freely. Well, it's interesting because that's probably true, but just that the visual in a movie is just hard to like, when you see someone stabbed in the leg like that and they just die that quickly, it's kind of like, you're just like, oh, that's I mean, interesting. Like I said, he's bleeding out. It's hot in there, so he's well, bleeding my, even faster. My point is just that it, it did Maybe he didn't die yet. He passed out, but then when he pulled the knife out, all that blood just came right out of his body. My question is just the intent, though. My thing is like, did he go back actually to kill Primo or was he forced to kill him once he got attacked? That's my thing. So, it's, it's filmed in a way of like where, yeah, you shouldn't have attacked Primo, but at that point, it's self-defense. Yeah, so it does look like 100% that Primo was the instigator of it. And because, you know, Robert De Niro, I've never, to be honest, it's been so long since I've seen Godfather. I can't remember Robert De Niro actually fights in it. But what I've known of Robert De Niro from the movies I've seen, he's not a fighter. Hell no. And and this definitely shows it. He's most likely getting his ass kicked from those weird editing we're seeing, so he uses the only way he can defend himself. There's a very easy... Th it's all about the intent because you could have had him come back and just caught Primo off guard and stabbed him. Like, Primo could have been laying down the spot mm -hmm. and he just comes and stabs him. But they, they made it purposefully that he comes back still kind of talking to him and then a fight breaks out and he right. stabs him. So at this point, it's kind of like they're still on the fence of like... Well, that was bad. I mean, you killed him, but yeah, not a full-fledged villain in my brain yet. Well, you no, know, because again, it was more self-defense, though. You can definitely tell he's thinking, oh, "I just murdered someone. I got to make sure I don't get caught." Which oh yeah, after that, he took the only thing that he really touched in that room. Yeah, he cleaned up afterwards, and then we later find out that he's gonna cut, yeah, yeah. cut the cut the branded part of the he arm. Cut off. the branded part of the arm and, off, and, and also he he's he's somewhat happy because. Now, now the number will be automatically sent to Rayburn. Freed up. Um, and, and now this is for me like um, this is where the movie jumps shark for me because I think I timed it like this is like somewhere probably we're already like I think like an hour 
in an hour and a half hour, long movie. Hour and ten minutes in the movie-ish. And this movie's only about an hour and a half long. I think, um... Maybe an hour and 40? No, no, this movie's like an hour and 45, I think. So we're about to hit into like last like 40, 45 minutes now. And that first hour was just all character development, his slow descent to madness, and now I guess he's in madness, and now we're going to become more of a generic, psycho-thriller, Hollywood conventional second well, half of the movie. It makes me think that if Rayburn just said the right things to him, if he still would have lost his mind, or if... He would have been, you know, steered a different way. So one of the problems I have is that it seems like the trigger point is him watching Rayburn on TV and Rayburn doesn't acknowledge that Primo's death is the reason he's doing better. Yeah, simple thank you would have been nice. And then we get the theme of the second half of the movie, which is a simple thank you would have been nice. But... I mean, so far up to this point, I mean, you would say Gil is a reasonably intelligent person. He's watching TV. He's that psychotic that he's like, you really think Rayburn on TV in a TV interview is going to say that? Or he's going to somehow credit you personally? Like, yeah, because if he credits a, you, then you would have police knocking on your door. Yeah, the, the trigger point should have been something that happens a little bit later when we get to like, we'll get to when... When he... Because here's a real question. How does Gil know where Rayburn lives? I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, because all of a sudden, because we never see him follow him. Yeah, he sees what vehicle he's driving, but you never see him get in the vehicle and start driving. That could have added something. It's like, okay, followed him. But Also, I know there's a beach there, but isn't it kind of like... It looks secluded. Wouldn't Gil's property be more of like a private property? It does. It, it still it, does. <laughs> it's like, okay, so it's like, it's framed as... Okay, so what we're talking about basically is that... And again, this is one of those movie coincidences where... Uh, Bobby's son is swimming in the water. The dog jumps on and knocks them both down. The dog's panicking, which is pushing the kid down. Let me just say, stupid dog. <laughs> but, but yeah, so now the kid's like drowning in the, the nanny, whoever is just like, Bobby! Because <laughs> yep, she can't swim. Because Gil was spying on Stalking them stalking or something? Him, yeah. He saw it, jumped in, saved the kid. In which case, now we get our first interactions between these two you know, face to face. Yeah, but Bobby's like, hey, what? where'd you come from? He's like, I was walking the beach. And that's where I'm just like, I feel like, shouldn't this sort of be like in a weird way? I'm just, it's a beach, so it can't. The, the beach it, doesn't look like it spreads out that far, though. Yeah, and I'm like, would he buy? Okay, for someone like him who's that famous and is wary of like fans and stuff like that, would he buy a place like on the beach that's so open to the public where like somebody can be just walking by like that randomly? It just seems like um, this is a huge ass coincidence where the writer was like hey we have to get them to interact now like how do we bring how do we bridge celebrity with fan now and we have to like do in a way where like bobby like bobby entrusting him basically to talk to him and it's just it's so coincidental it's like the first example like really bad writing in the movie and then again just a coincidence bobby goes to the, the degree of like not just thank you but hey come into my house letting a stranger into your house and you're a celebrity <clears throat> I don't know if that, I mean, even that doesn't seem really like I mean, what would actually happen. He's like, come in, take off my club, put my clothes on. Right. Let's play pool together. So ah! they're hanging out now. And now comes what should be the trigger point is um, Bobby's view on fans, how right. he feels about his fans. Which you can see it does annoy him. Yeah. Because you see by his face. Talking about Gil. Gil's like. Yeah, it's annoying Gil. He's like, what's wrong with the fans? Like, because he's so defensive because he's the super fan. And he even mentions like, well, fans are great and all, but fans are great only when you're hitting. Fans suck when you don't hit. And that's because they don't know you as a person. They just know you as a number. And that seems to go completely over. That makes sense to me, but it goes completely over. um, Gil said. Gil's just like. Did you just diss the fans? <laughs> Very simplistic thinking. Um, but even then, okay, at this point, Gil still seems okay. He's clearly met his idol and it's like, well, he's, I don't like him that much, but he still seems okay. But then you get the, um, and but, he tries on his hat. Then I'm get, like, this is good. Then you get where he finally asked the question. So what got you out of your slump? Oh, yeah, when he's pitching to him. Yeah, and then the this is a real trigger point. Wes Snipes finally telling him, 
I just stopped caring. Which what, is what do you mean to stop caring? Which is where Ju- the conversation I had to mention with Jules comes in. You know, she told him, "Let your hair down. Stop being so serious. Have fun again." Be honest. Yeah. If, if Rayburn would have said something like, "I stopped taking it too seriously and started taking it more as the game as it is. It's a fun thing to play. I enjoy myself doing it. If people love me for it, great. If people don't, then you can't please anybody." Yeah, but and that probably would have kept kept Gill from losing his shit like he did. No, but again, to me, it's it's what he says is still reasonable. But again, it, it it's all going over Gill's head. He wants to hear one very specific thing. He wants Bobby to say thank you. No, he no, he wants to say, you know, to be honest, somebody killed Primo, and that's that's the reason I started playing good is because Primo is dead, and then Gill can think to himself. Yeah, because I killed Primo. Well, yeah. see, that's I, what he's looking for. This I is did, not right, going to happen. He's looking for the reassurance because at this point, maybe he's still feeling just a tinge bit guilty for it because he still committed murder. It's most likely his first kill he's ever made. So there's still that point of guilt, even if he's insane. Even if he's insane, there's still that point of guilt. So maybe he's looking for the reassurance that, okay, now that this guy's dead and you're doing better. I did what I was supposed to, but with Rayburn not mentioning that, it's making it seem like, so I did something extremely bad for nothing? No, I get that, but at this point, to me, it's like, I feel like, honestly, I feel like he should be satisfied because he did what he did in, when he did it, it wasn't, it wasn't to get a thank you, it was to get his favorite player out of his slump and get his team back on track. He's done that, and under anything, he's gotten away with it. He's not even suspected of this murder. He's 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 uh, home scot free. Oh, too bad. He's Uber fan. He's home scot free. He's good. And he, now he gets to meet his idol, Bobby. Well, too bad. The nanobots got a hold of him, so now he's no longer the fan. He's now Uber fan. He proves that even more by Grand Theft Auto and kidnapping. And this is where and the, dog napping. And this is where the movie really <laughs> jumps into some shit. And I just don't buy it. But well, uh, let's let's go with it that now he's like basically at this point. He's pretty much committed to suicide. Long term, his plan is just to kill himself, basically. At this point, it would have to be because he... I'm sorry. And what's bad is, as he's talking to him on the car phone, eventually he gives up his little facade and says, Okay, Bobby, you're a fucking idiot. That's what you are. You're just a hitter. I'm a pitcher. I actually am smart. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Bobby's the idiot here. Maybe Bobby was the idiot throughout the movie, but... Everything that this guy's doing now, Gil's doing, is stupid. Now, I do, I do like the payoff, though, that we finally get to meet Coop, though. Yeah. Because this is like, I didn't, I didn't expect this because he's been talked about. I didn't expect it to be a payoff, but I'm, I'm glad they brought this but back. But notice how Coop, Cooper is extremely uncomfortable the minute he sees him. Cooper hasn't seen him in like 30, 40 years. And yet he still somehow recognizes him. And he's immediately like, hey, whose kid is that? <laughs> He is. He even tells him, "Like, are you still up to your old shit?" It's like, you're telling me he's kidnapped people before. Yeah, it seems like <laughs> Coop knows this is like a demon child from Little League back in the day, and <clears throat> the prom child's come back, and Coop wants nothing to do with this whole kidnapping scenario, but he's kind of drug into it. So let's get. So we get our ransom call, which I mean, again, Robert De Niro gives great line delivery. But the rant, but the way for Rayburn to get his son back, <laughs> you must get a home run for me. He's like, uh, for a professional like him, it shouldn't be too hard. Oh, wait, uh, I forgot. This guy's been in a slump because he cared too much. Now that his son is on the line, well, you care now, Bobby? I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, it's just like when the, the, the dying kid put the pressure on though. It's like... Maybe you can do it. It doesn't happen every game, but it happens pretty frequently. Well, we already see, apparently, when he's under pressure, he can't. It's only when he's out of pressure, having fun, just enjoying himself, is when he's actually good. Yeah. I, I Again, at this point, I'm lost on what, what um, Gil's trying to accomplish here. And also, how did Gil know about the chemo kid? The, there was no interaction between... Gil I, and Rayburn about chemo kid. I don't know if they showed it, but they implied that Bobby was going to go on the radio interview or whatever and tell the chemo kid story. 
I don't know if we saw him actually telling the chemo kid story, okay. but his agent told him, you know, how we can get the public favor back for you is to like go and tell this chemo kid story and the public will think better of you. So I think that happened, even though at this point the public is literally holding signs saying like, hey, you killed Primo. Like they're blaming Bobby for the death actually. So. All right, so before we get to the most epic death, that makes no damn sense. Um, Gil is a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. So earlier in this movie, he was getting on a coach of Sean. Oh, not Sean. Did they even name the damn kid? Sean. No, I'm talking about Gil's kid. Gil's kid, yeah. <laughs> He's in the credits. Gil's kid. Oh, shit. Um, kid that likes pizza. Yeah. Not mushrooms. Um, so Gil's kid, the, the coach was throwing the ball apparently too hard so the kid couldn't hit. And Gil was getting mad at that. So now cut to Gil being the pitcher. He's throwing pitches like he's going up against Rayburn again. Yep. Uh, granted, I guess technically it is a Rayburn. Yeah, it is. Mini Rayburn. But, it's, yeah, as you said, Mini Rayburn. And this kid is now scared out of his mind. Yep. And when they try to make a run for it, uh, we get the probably the most useless death in the whole movie. Coop. Yep. I'm sorry. To be honest with you, Primo's death is the only death that actually made sense for the story. Well, this, again, this is going too far now. This is like, okay, that's what, I, that's what I'm saying. That when, this, when I said this became generic, psycho Hollywood movie, it's like this whole scene is like what you would see like in a typical situation like that. And it's just weird. Like he's just talking to Cooper a second ago, and now he's killing him with a baseball bat. Right. Like, why'd you do that? We could have been leaguers. Like, it was only little league. That that's gonna be your final words. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe out of place comedy too. Right, um, so I don't know. So now we get our final baseball scene. Gil's taunting Jules. Fucking uh, Gil then, I guess on off screen, very possibly killed the umpire. Yeah, I mean that's why I say possibly four deaths in this movie because. And, and it's it, not and, known if the umpire is actually dead or not. But I think so, though, because he has a knife. So, and, and it's it's all suicide because Gil actually calls what's her face and said basically indicates that he's at the, he's at the stadium. I'm at the stadium, but you'll never find me. Right. Gee, I wonder why we'll never find you. Yeah. So somehow he's on the field as the umpire. Yep. Which itself is pretty amazing because. I'm pretty sure, like, the umpire still has to, like, see his, like, you know, see other people and have to interact with them before he gets on the field. Nope. But apparently not. <laughs> he just goes on the field. It starts raining. Yep. And we get this scenario where, of course, you know, obviously three strikes are out, so we get the first two strikes. Yep. And he only has two balls on him. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. Um, so and, what, so, so we, have to, we have to get the epic sports moment where, against all odds... He's going to hit the home run and save his son. And he does, but the umpire's like, you're out! (laughs) So me personally, and if you did any of these two scenarios, I think the result still would have been the same. But you could have done where the uh, pitcher decided to throw that third ball and force Rayburn to walk instead of doing the home run. In which case, Rayburn would have turned around, screamed at him, then the umpire would have had to break that up, in which case, oh, you're right there. Now, as for a strikeout, again, in this one more distraught turned around, probably losing his shit because now his son is most likely dead in his mind. Umpire again telling him, hey, this unprofessional get the fuck off my field. Right. Sees him in there, and the result still would have been the same. You could have done it for all three scenarios. I know De Niro said <laughs> something about not doing this specific thing, but was there a way that the, like, some cop could have, like, talked the other team, basically, and told them what was going on? He could have, but he did mention that if the pitcher was taking it easy, because at the very least, then the pitcher would have purposely kept aiming for the end without yeah. making it look easy. The pitcher... Versus making it to do the ball. The pitcher seemed to... Not understand what was going on. But by the end, seemed to be like, let me help him get a home run almost. Right. Because, like, yeah, at the end, it was kind of like the pitcher was, like, almost, like, 
maybe throw him an easy ball or something. Which I'm also assuming. Well, remember, not an easy ball because right because a uh, Gill knows what what a softball would look like. Yeah. So he still had to play correctly, but he wasn't going to give him that third ball. Yeah. So, however, I'm assuming Rayburn told his team because when they find out who this guy was, the whole team was out there. And you get like a, a five second clip of just like the uh, team running for. Him. Yeah, but Gill's out there shaking people. <laughs> yeah. The fact How many guy, mofo's does he stab? He only stabbed, in the struggle. He only stabbed the one. You only see one body drop. It was the fat guy. Okay, but he's swinging, all right. But okay, but, did, but okay, but hold and on. And he did stab Rayburn in the shoulder. Okay, but but this is so stupid to me. Well, <laughs> you have the dramatic music playing as 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 Bobby gets to the, the final base, and it's dramatic and so happy, and then you hear "You're out!" <laughs> and the fires are like, "No, you're out." What? No, he's like, "You're out. Get off my field." This is a, this is like a betrayal of Gil's character. <laughs> He did what you asked of him. He got the home run. Yeah, that's probably... But fairly, too. You're sitting there watching it. Yeah, that was the only downside to Gil's character is this scene because it makes no sense. He's supposed to be a fan of the team and the player. Right. So now he sabotages? Like, that maybe that he... Didn't make sense. It makes me wonder if maybe he wasn't com- trying to commit suicide, knowing now that he's on the field. Anyone recognizes him, he's already dead. So he tries to get him out. So that way, then no one could follow him, whatever with the kid, yada yada. Because I see, I feel opposite though. I feel like if he just plays it normal, him doing the out thing is what actually exposed him. Because then um, Bobby got into a fight with him. He's like, no, how can you like? He's like, this is the motherfucker. Yeah. And if he's just like, yeah, then he can probably go back in the back, umpire, take off his clothes, over, run back to his high spot, Release and the then kid. and be like. Ah, you did a good job, Bobby. Your son's hair, and then go about his life, Rob. He might actually get away. That, right. It's it's so like a dumb thing where he's like, he wanted to. Um, at that point, he just wanted to, like, um, he wanted to be die. known as like the, like he wanted to die. Uh, he wanted to be known as the super fan in Infamous. a sense. He want, but it makes me wonder because. So you brought up why someone would do would pretty much commit suicide and. At least, or at least this character in a sense. This character, I mean, think about it with this. He lost his job, lost his son. He's living in a car in a broken down umpire stadium right now. Yeah. And his only source of anything betray, pretty much betrayed him in his own mind, stating fans suck. Yep. So at this point, what does he have left to live for? That's, yeah, that's the whole but, thing in his mind. <laughs> I get it, but my thing is just like he keeps pushing harder. It's like you already got back at him, but you keep doing more. That's what I'm saying. He could have got away with the whole thing still, even even to the point of being the umpire. He could have still got away. Well, yeah. But he, but he, but it was all a suicide mission. He wanted to get caught. Yeah, he wanted that moment where he has a knife and and gets shot. But it's like ah, I get it, but that's so stupid. Yeah, it's so I mean, it's it's just generic psycho bullshit. Me personally, I enjoyed it. I still enjoy the final confrontation between them, even if I, I would I would have liked him to rot away in prison. <laughs> Been much more interesting. What just them wound him instead of kill him, and then have one cop there, he gets shot, and then you see like the medic come to actually, and then like okay, best ending ever would have been. Okay, you cut to like six months later. Rayburn visiting him in jail saying, you're a piece of dick. No, not even that. Six months later, you see the TV screen of Rayburn doing whatever, and then you uh, you pan out, and it's a bunch of guys in prison watching this small TV, and then De Niro's in the back, and like, let's say he smiles proudly at the TV or something like that. Like something where he's like in prison still being the super fan now. Or maybe and that, gets And now that's how, how he's lived out the rest of his life. Or maybe he gets more pissed because... Rayburn quits after that. I'm sorry. At this point, Rayburn quit that goddamn game. Oh, as long as he's getting his forty million dollars, maybe he quit after that season. He was done. Yeah. I'm because- sorry. If I had a fan do that to me, I mean, look at a lot of the actors and actresses we know from horror movies that quit acting because of stupid shit that fans have done. Yeah. I just think it's just it's it's a lazy ending. Like the cops shoot him, he's dead. Like him in prison watching the baseball games, prison. That would have been a fun 
non-cliched ending that we got. So. Bah, I still enjoy it because a lot of the scene was, was only one line, but it was also told by the facial expressions of Robert De Niro when he kept looking at himself in the thing and looking back. It's like, I look pretty damn good. <laughs> like, I, th- I, think I'm, I think I'm ready. <laughs> it's just, if he just quickly took out the knife and tried to throw it, it's one thing, but he takes five minutes to like slowly wind up and all the cops have the gun on him. He's just like slowly like... Well, he doesn't want to kill Rayburn. If he did, he would have stabbed him somewhere other than the shoulder. I disagree. I think he did, he did stab him. He did, he did stab him. He, he did just stab stabbed him in the shoulder. Yeah, but he stabbed him in the leg. He was he was still whatever he could. He's he's not gently with a knife there. He's old man De Niro. Right? He's, he's doing he what he can. He knows where to aim the knife. <laughs> he's doing what he can. He had the damn umpire mask on too. Remember, don't forget. No, by the time he's about to throw, um, I guess, but still, either way, knife and shoulder. If you wanted to kill him, he would have done it already. When he was on top of him, knife, neck. Even on the ground dying, he's like, a simple thank you would have been nice. <laughs> that's what he wants. That's the damn point he wants to get across. He's like, a thank you would have been nice. And I'm like, this fucking movie should be called A Thank You Would Have Been Nice. Interesting character study to generic psycho, could be any horror movie type of ending. So. Well, how about we get to our categories? Let's do it! So, best performance. Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro's son was really good. <laughs> I had so much sympathy for this kid and the, the two scenes he was in. I was like, damn, man, I three. can't believe that. He was in three scenes. Uh, well, Opening day, the uh, bedroom scene where the parents are trying to get through the locked door, which that was kind of a cute little comedy there. It's like, it's open. No, it's not. <laughs> and, and then the third scene where he pretty much rats out where Sean's at. Which, as I, I told you earlier, that should have been after De Niro died. Then they could be like, okay, yeah, we're screwed. Yeah, because that does take away a lot of the intensity of the Yeah, because then you know Sean's alive. But if their one last chance is if, is if this kid can give them any information, and the kid's like, yeah, and gives them the answer, then they find Sean, that would be, again, a much better ending. Um, but no, of course, De Niro's the answer here. I mean, but it's not like um, it's not like it's any, not a challenge for De Niro to play crazy though. I mean, that's well, it, no. that's in his wheelhouse. He just is a, he's really good at doing that. But it, so it's like if De Niro playing that role would have been bad, I'd have been very surprised. I'm like, <laughs> like this is what you do, De Niro. This is what you do, man. Okay, well, what about worst performance? There really isn't one in this movie, <sighs> man. Ooh. I'll tell you what. <sighs> Giving it to the to the mom, the, the ex-wife. She didn't play that punch very well. <laughs> so basically, there's no choice here. You're just picking who you could pick. There, there isn't. I mean, all the actors did their job. They, they all did pretty good. Even the kid actor was actually convincing. Sometimes when you do this, you got to say, okay, it doesn't mean it's a bad performance, but it's just not the best one. And yeah, for me... Wesley Snipes. <laughs> Only because... I mean... But I'm not, saying it's, I'm not saying it's like terrible. I'm just saying that... It's the lesser of the performances because he's just not given that much to do until the very end. That's all. And I would have liked him to be more likable in the first half. That's all I'm saying. You're a very blasphemous person. <laughs> I mean, it's true, Choosing though. Wesley Snipes like that. It's not a movie where you have that many standout scenes. It's like, again, like a lot of movies where there's so many small moments and collective scenes, but it doesn't have like the big eye-popping moments. Um... Just for the sheer drama, even though I just shit on it, I guess the, the whole ending sequence with him being the umpire and that last epic home run, I guess you got to go there. That maybe or him killing Primo. So I actually got a better scene, or at least in my opinion. When he's talking the ticket scopper. No. Oh, no. Um, so for me, it's, and you're going to give me shit, but it's actually... Him and Rayburn at his house doing throwing the pitching and hitting the ball. Oh, that's actually a good scene, right? Yeah, because again, you're getting uh, the amount of direction that De Niro just commands on the screen, just with his facial expressions alone. With this scene, hearing Rayburn explain how he got out of his slump, and he's just you see his face just go from happy and giddy to just dread. Yeah. Especially since he's already remembers that this guy just shit on fans, including himself. So he's not exactly in the best mind frame right now. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. A lot of tension. That's true. That's fair. Um, okay. Worst scene. Worst scene. Mm. Cooper's death for me. 
<laughs> Cooper's death or fat guy's death? Because to be honest with you, both those deaths. Who's fat guy? The guy he stabs when the, everyone was running after him. Oh, okay. And the reason, I, and that's because we don't know his name. Why they decided to kill off some random no name that we may have seen once, I don't know. And also, the reason I say Cooper's death is because the reason Primo's death was so impactful is because technically it can be seen as a as a self-defense kind of thing. But you also see in a later scene, he still has a little bit of regret for it. Whereas Cooper's death and the fat dude's death, there's no real regret. There's yeah. No, there's, no, there's nothing. So yeah. he, there's especially Cooper, you, he should have more regret killing off Cooper. All his stories are about Cooper. <laughs> but yet he has more regret with Primo's death than he does Cooper. And it was just senseless. And like I said, the big dude's death, is, it was just out, just completely out of nowhere. It was worthless. What was your worst thing? Um, I know, I just name dropped two. <laughs> for me, it's, it's him coincidentally saving his son at the beach in the water. <laughs> the whole second half of the movie is relying on this big-ass coincidence of him knowing where he lives, being there at the exact moment that the damn stupid dog uh, almost drowns uh, Bobby's kid. Yeah, because if that didn't happen, he wouldn't have been a, had a reason to go down there. And yeah, and then you never get the interaction, which would have been a trigger point. So it's like uh, that scene was illogical and too much of a coincidence. So I still want to know how he found the damn house, though. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, there was no Google back then. He couldn't Google or anything. So what would you change? For me, I would like to. I feel like there's scenes missing in this movie. And I know this is from a 324-page book. Uh-huh. So maybe the book actually has a lot of information that, well, most books always have a lot of information that movies don't. But if they added maybe another, took out some of the montages that were unnecessary mm-hmm. and added in a few more scenes plus another 15 minutes, we'd probably get this ending a lot more makes sense. Maybe him knowing where he lives makes more sense. Yeah. I, the, I, the movie could have just flown better. Yeah, I just would have done something totally different with the ending. The ending feels like by the end he's like a like a villain from the movie Die Hard or something. He's just like a He's ge- Hans Gruber. He's like a generic action movie villain. It's so, he's Hans Gruber. Gotcha. Yeah, he's just doing stuff like taking the kid hostage and like asking for a ransom and hiding in the stadium. It's like it's like an action movie ending now versus like that like tense psychological thriller from the book from the first from the first half. So I would have just done the whole a whole different second half. After he killed Primo, I would have just I don't know how to rewrite the whole script like in the second half. Maybe still hadn't had him go crazy, but maybe in a more direct confrontation with Snipes versus like all the police are involved. It's like this big thing now and there's a manhunt for him and like all this stuff that's like too big of a scale. It's, it's like a better as a personal small story. But at the end, it feels like you're watching this big ass action movie now or something. So I would have toned it down instead of having the whole baseball stadium involved in the ending. So. All right, so as for final thoughts, I don't think I need to say a whole lot. I love the acting in this movie. Characters could have been a little better, but, you know, again, with a movie like this, a character study, there's only so much you can do uh, for the time frame they had. The score was really good for this movie. It definitely fit the tone. And the directing style was pretty entertaining. It definitely did not he was, let a dull moment go. You could tell he was experimenting because then if you watch this, then you watch Enemy of the State. <laughs> Enemy of the State is like a better version of this in terms of the camera and everything like that and mm-hmm. how it looks. And Enemy of the State it looks, has the same exact visual style, but it's a little bit more refined and detailed. So you could tell he was kind of messing with stuff and it would serve him better in later movies. But Oh, yeah. So overall, I don't need to say much more of the story had was lackluster around the end but that's because there's stuff that was most likely missing i've never read the book i probably will to see what was missing but i'm probably not gonna pay too much attention because i'll be playing games while i'm listening to it so with all that said i'm actually going to give this movie a three i love the fact that you're following the villain this time versus the victim which most movies don't that's a pretty do good that. twist i agree and so overall, that's my rating. A three out of four. It's good. You can watch it. Enjoy. Not too much. Wow. Don't be a fan. So 
what the tables have turned because this is one of those situations where I have to be the tough one. <laughs> Nick must have had some good brownies before he got in here because he's being way over the top nice here. So my wife actually made me a chocolate cream pie with chocolate crust and whipped cream on I top. can tell you're in a good mood here, in a splendid mood. You're out here throwing out gifts and three-star ratings. You haven't given a three-star rating since 1992, all right? Oh, so, that was when I was born. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, I'm a three-star rating? Thank you. No. You're a very nice person. No, not at all. Go saying you've never given a three-star rating. <laughs> the fact that this is a three for you and Tremors is not a three, I will forever hold against you, sir. <laughs> Tremors but, is still a two and a half. That said. You know what? I'll, move, I'll bump it up to a three if we do the Tremor series. No. That'll, then it's a two and a half. Keep it at two and a half. <laughs> or, folks, our most popular podcast is the Tremors episode. <laughs> uh, because, just, just know that, Because buddy. the Tremors are just predator worms. I hate you. <laughs> Keep your fan fiction on that side of the table, all right? <laughs> um, all right. Can I get my final thoughts? Well, I'm waiting. So, for me... Just to give my final, 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 final thoughts, let me say this. I love the first half of the movie. I just wasn't enthralled with the second half of the movie. So for me, I'm going two stars. Now, two stars means just that you find the movie to be average. It's entertaining. You can watch it, have fun with it. By the end, I'm not invested in anything. I don't care if he gets his son back or not. And I definitely don't care what uh, Gil's plan is because it's nonsensical and he's a stupid psycho. So... He's um, stupid. Remember, he's smart. <laughs> he's a pitcher. That and makes the fact him smart. He's, he's calling him out as an idiot gets on my damn nerves. <laughs> but two stars for me. But and I can see why it's a polarizing movie. It's a 5.9 on IMDb. You look at reviews. The reviews are pretty much back and forth. You have exactly what you saw here. You have strong reviews and then negative reviews, and um, they kind of. Back Only and difference forth. is this time it was me giving the good review and Vic giving the bad review. That's kind of surprising because that probably won't happen again. Next week, folks, we're continuing with our Wesley Snipes marathon, which is only two movies. So next week, it's time, you re- Nick, are you ready to catch the train? No, because I've never ridden a train. Well, this will be your first train, and guess what kind of train it is? What? It is a crypto train. Look, we're catching a money train. That's all you need to know for oh, next okay. week, all right? Now bring your boarding pass and two forms of picture ID. Otherwise, I mean, I got, I got you can't the, get on the money train. Otherwise, not. I mean, can we just take the money train to Canada? Because I do got a passport. You know where we're going. We're going to fucking Nilbog. Because what's on the money train? A lot of green. Ha <laughs> ha! I hate you. <laughs>